0: Uh, I trust uh, I trust it is a good time for you as a believer um, that we can celebrate the birth of Christ that we can celebrate uh, Jesus coming to this earth for us and so it 's my prayer this morning that uh, God will take uh, what we look at and, and and speak to each of our hearts. Last week, we talked about the Christmas story from the perspective of uh, the magi and how God used them to meet needs. God used them to point the way to Christ. Uh, we're going to pick up the story this morning on the story after the Magi leave. And so after these guys walk out, they're, they're getting ready to go back, and one of the last things Herod said to them was, hey, tell me where this kid is so I can go worship him. And that was the last thing Herod was going to do, believe me. And, uh, I mean, even historically, again it's hard for us to fathom it but five days before herod dies he has his own son killed he's already killed two of them now he kills a third one because uh, he's going to die and you know he wants he wants some say in the throne and so at that point so you know this guy's pretty ruthless so he has no intent in worshiping a new king and so god warns the wise men in a dream and 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 they head out another way well that only infuriates Herod more and so he then goes to drastic measures here and so we're going to pick the story up after that Matthew chapter 2 and here's what it says <clears throat> it says after the wise men were gone an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream uh, again i'm just going to i think it's easier if we just kind of stop and work through it as we go through it Uh, This is the third dream, by the way, in two chapters. And it says, he appears to Joseph in a dream. Now, here's a question for you. When do you normally dream? (laughs) Some of you are going, well, in church. Uh, No, at night, usually when you're sleeping, all right? So the, the angel appears to him in a dream, and notice what he says. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child of his mother. The angel says, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and his mother, with the child and Mary, his mother. Now, I want to stop here for a minute because I, th- I don't, I don't think we grabbed the impact of that. He's asleep. God comes to him in a dream and says, "Look, get up and get moving. Um, hey, okay, we got some new parents here. So, uh, how hard was it to get ready for church today with a child?" Brittany, Nathan, huh? Uh, Yeah, you start early. Brian, Andrea, how's that going for you back there? Exactly, exactly right. So now, okay, but you're not going to church. You're taking an infant child between six months and probably 18 months old, and you're going to another country. And you're going at a moment's notice. So can you imagine if I said, hey, guys, here's the plan. Uh, get that kid to Canada now. And you're going, well, visas and and, and and diapers and, 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 and formula. And, uh. Exactly. That's what they have to do. And in a moment's notice, they're going to take this infant child in the middle of the night, grab him, and go. And notice what it happens. And it says, that night, Joseph left for Egypt. And I think this is, not, notice this. How does it say this? Because this is important. Read the phrase. Read what it says. Okay, it, that night, Joseph left with who? The child and Mary, his mother. Here's something that's very significant. Who's mentioned first? Normally, we say the mother and child, or the father and the child, or the parents and the kid. Here, the focus is the child. It's not Mary. It's not Joseph. The focus is the child. In fact, we define Mary and Joseph by the child. You know, we know Mary, the mother of Jesus right? Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. Um, I I mean, that's how we define them. Why? Because the focus is the child. And they stayed there until Herod's death. Uh, Okay, I want to stop here just for a second, just for fun stuff, because I like throwing this in. Sometimes when you read it, it's like really, really cool. There's a couple of legends surrounding their fleeing to Egypt. One of the legends that throughout history, again, it's not Bible, it's not fact, it's just, it's like a fun story. Uh, one of them is the robber, the thief on the cross, actually robbed them on their way to, to uh, Egypt. And that's one legend surrounding the fleeing to Egypt. Another legend is, this is like one of my favorites because I think it's so bizarre that it's cool. Uh, they, fleed, they flee and they go into a cave. And in the cave, there's a spider. And the spider wants to worship Jesus. So the spider weaves a web over top of the cave And as a way to serve Jesus, and when the army comes through and they're looking for Jesus, they see the spider web on the cave, and they figure nobody's gone into the cave because there's a spider web. I just think it's like a cool story. Uh, You know, um, it's like, okay, somebody had bad pizza. But anyway, it's, it's, it's this idea, so there's all these, all these legends and stuff like that that's kind of, and, and somehow, and I don't understand it, they say that's where we get the tradition of icicles hanging on a tree. Icicle, spider web, I don't get the connection, but that's what they say. So anyway, here's what it says. It says um, they, they flee, um, and they stay there until Herod's death. And uh, We know that Herod's going to die fairly soon, about, uh, he dies, I think, 6 B.C. or so or uh, are, are 4 B.C., and, and Jesus was born about 6 B.C., so fairly soon after uh, they flee. Uh, here's what I want to spend a little bit of time on. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken to the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Now, I would love for us to take a couple of weeks and really dig into this thing, but we don't have a couple of weeks, so i got to go quick on this. This is a quote from Hosea. I don't know how much you know about the book of Hosea, the minor prophet Hosea. It's one of my favorite minor prophets. Um, I love the book of Hosea. In a nutshell, there's all all kinds of interpretation of issues with, with Hosea, but I'll cut to the chase. In essence, here's what the book's about. Hosea's a prophet. His wife becomes unfaithful. And Hosea takes her back. And then Hosea walks into the area that he's preaching, and he says, look, Israel, you have been unfaithful to God, but he'll take you back. And it's okay. And God wants to take you back. Forget what you've done, forget how horrible it is that you've, you've gone after other gods, God will take you back, and he wants you back. That's the story in a nutshell of Hosea. And in one of the passages in Hosea, it says, I called my son out of Egypt. Here's the thing, the book of Hosea, talks a lot about the history of the children of Israel and what they did and how they got to where they were. Let's think about it for a minute, because here's some really cool parallels. In the story of the children of Israel, what does does the Pharaoh do? Remember, the Pharaoh kills or wants them to put to death all of the male babies. Remember that? That's how Moses comes about, because Moses is drawn out of the water, Moses to draw out of the water. What's Herod going to do? He's going to kill all the children under the age of two. So what's God going to do? God is going to take the children of Israel who are under an oppressive ruler and he's going to deliver them. He's, Moses is going to be the, the, the key to deliver them out of Egypt, right? Jesus is going to be the deliverer for people, us, who are born in sin. He's going to deliver us out. Israel comes away and gets away from God, and Hosea stands up and screams, God will take you back. Jesus is going to come to a whole group of people who have turned their back on him, and he's going to say... God wants you back. You've gotten away from God. You're you're tied up in all of this stuff that doesn't mean anything. Real real religion does not look like what what you're saying it is. God wants you back to something that's real and genuine. And so Matthew here says, Out of Egypt have I called my son, bringing these two worlds together, if you will, to explain to us that Jesus is doing the same thing that Moses and God did to the children of Israel. He's doing it again through Christ. And that's what this baby's all about. And he takes this child to protect this child down to Egypt. And then notice what it goes on to say. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Harold's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Now we're going to go to a prophet, Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Um, I'll pick this up in a second. I want to stop here. Here he talks about this idea of Herod killing the children. Now some people who like to discredit the Bible say when you read history there's no reference of this and there is none historically. There's no reference of the killing of children in Bethlehem. Okay, And so people go, ha, see the Bible's not true. Um, here, here's, where, here's where putting things in its context are important. The city of Bethlehem was a small little hamlet. It was not a great big major city. In fact, I mean, you know, a number of years ago, there were only 20,000 people in the city of Bethlehem. So it's not a big metropolitan kind of city. Herod went in and killed all of the children, male children under two years of age. So a lot of people believe that was probably a number somewhere between 12 and 20. Now, granted, killing one child is bad. But in its context... Killing 20 children didn't even make the front page of the news. Because Herod is a guy who killed his own son. Herod is a guy who slaughtered thousands. And that, in fact, the guy who's going to follow Herod during a Passover time, he kills 3,000 Jews just, just because he wanted to kill them. So, in those days, the number, the, the way that it made history was if it was dealing with. Hundreds or thousands, not tens or twenties. So it doesn't surprise me that there's no historical reference to it. You know, that makes sense when you, when you put it in the context of Herod the Great and, and the guy's insanity. And so, but he, he says here, and this is where a cry, was, he quotes from, from Jeremiah, a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping a great mourning. Rachel weeps further. Jacob buries his wife Rachel here, if you go all the way back to Genesis and you look at the history of Bethlehem, here's what happened. Jacob's wife, Rachel, is getting ready to have a child. She dies in childbirth. He buries her in Bethlehem. So the first introduction to Bethlehem that we have is a place of death with, with Rachel. Later, we know it as a place of birth for Christ, but then what happens? It becomes a place of sorrow again And that we have a number of children who are executed. So Bethlehem's history is kind of one of sorrow and grief. And pain and heartache. And that's going to be important to our application today. Okay? But in Jeremiah, it's really, really interesting the passage that this is found in, because this uh, this passage is actually found in a, a chapter of Jeremiah that deals with hope and encouragement and blessing. In fact, it's a passage that says, God has loved us with an everlasting love. And so. It's, it's, it's a fana- fascinating story. We'll get into that when we apply it. Going on. Here's what he says. Uh, they return to Nazareth. Um, going on, guys. Uh, then they return to Nazareth. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up. Take the child and his mother back to the land of the children of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Herod dies, and Jesus, and, and he tells him to get the child and head back. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus' mother. But when he learned that a new ruler of Judah was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Archelaus slays 3,000 Jews, by the way, near, near the time of Pentecost. So it's, it's kind of, again, Bethlehem is significant because Bethlehem is five miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, think about it. Okay, let me ask you something. If you wanted to go to the highest level of politics you could absolutely go for, where would you live? Washington, D.C., You I want to get as close to Washington as I can. That's the center of the whole thing. If you want to be king of the Jews, where do you live? Jerusalem. That's the center of the thing. Well, Jerusalem is expensive. Okay, then you go to Bethlehem. It's five miles outside the city. That's where the king should be born. That's where a king should be around. So I really believe Joseph's intent was to go back to Bethlehem. And then notice what it says. When he learned a new ruler, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Now, here's what's significant about Nazareth. Nazareth, okay, Jerusalem's here. Bethlehem's like right here. Nazareth is up here. Here's the thing. Nobody liked Nazareth. It's a mile and a half Plateau is where the city sits. It was just outside of an area where Rome was doing a lot of building. So the people up in Galilee hung with the Romans. That didn't go over well with Jews. So there was this conflict. Secondly, the other idea is the Galileans, they were known as kind of backwoodsy kind of people. You think about the southern, the, the, you think about the person you know that represents the southern redneck mentality the most. Now multiply it times three and you have a Nazarene. I mean, nobody wanted anything to do. At Pentecost, the disciples, a lot of the disciples were, were from Galilee. One of, the, one of the criticisms are, these are unlearned Galileans. These are backwoodsy people. What are they doing preaching here? I mean, that's the mentality that existed during all of this thing. So for Jesus to go back to Nazareth and be involved with, again, he was known as the carpenter's son. This is where Jesus is going to spend his childhood. This is where Jesus is going to spend 30 years of his life. Hang around uh, social misfits. My mind goes bizarre places. The island of misfit toys. Uh, I mean, you know, um, it, it, they were social misfits. They were, they, they were people who just didn't fit. And now Jesus is going to work with Joseph here. Because remember, one of the things they say about Jesus is this not the carpenter's son? So now Jesus is going to build a reputation working with these people all day long. If it was a wood shop and you needed a new table, you'd go and negotiate with Joseph and Jesus and brothers to build you a table for your house. And when they didn't get paid, maybe Jesus was the guy who had to go try to collect the money. I don't know. Somebody had to collect the money. When somebody was dissatisfied, maybe Jesus was the one that Joseph said, hey, you go take care of them. He may have been a mason. He may have been, uh, worked with masonry and, and, and stone and carving rock and stuff like that. That was one of the things that was known for in this area. But this is where Jesus spent 30 years of his life. When you read your New Testament, you need to understand this. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they focus on, a majority of it focuses on three years of the life of Christ, and a majority, like 80, 90% of that, only focuses on the last year and a half. But there's 30 years of the life of Christ in Nazareth just doing and being. And so, you know, when you go into your job and you go, you know, you know, this is, I don't feel like I'm doing much for the kingdom. Really? Well, God stayed in Nazareth for 30 years working for a carpenter. If that was important, then maybe where God has you is important too. That's the story. Now let's pull a couple of things away that that I think we can apply and and really work into our lives this week. Here's the first thing. God has the power to change people and places. Here's the the coolest thing, I think, about the story of Bethlehem. Genesis, Bethlehem's all about sorrow. Jesus is born, and and we, we, we think that's really cool, and Bethlehem gets a better name, so to speak. And then people die. And Bethlehem's history, if you look at it biblically, is kind of tarnished. It's this little place in the middle of nowhere. In fact, in Micah, it says, But thou Bethlehem of Ephratah, though thou seem little among thousands. It's this small, insignificant, little town in the middle of nowhere that God says it has a history of sorrow but I'm going to take its history and change it. And because of what I am and because of what I do here, it will forever be changed. And this week, the entire world will focus on this little bitty place called Bethlehem. People travel thousands and thousands of miles 365 days a year to see this little place called Bethlehem. I've been there. Are you ready for this? It's kind of disappointing. Because you know why? It just ain't no big deal. It really isn't. Um, You know, the group that owns it now, you walk into this, you walk, the, the really cool thing I liked about it was it's all stone where you walk in, you walk into this kind of cathedral thing, and the way that they keep the stone clean is they dump kerosene on it. And so as you walk through, it gets on the bottom of your feet, and that kind of keeps it all clean. And then you walk down, and you go down these little stairs, and you look at this little hole behind this great big gate with all this stuff piled around it, and they go, manger. And yet you can't go to Israel without saying, I want to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because God has the power to change things. And you need to understand that. You need to understand that I don't care what your past, I don't care what your, what, what, your, what, what your history is, I don't care what you're struggling with. God has the power to take all of that and let it be represented as something good and something powerful in life. We know Bethlehem today not as a place of sorrow, but as a place of life. Why? Because that's what God does. And I want to challenge you this morning because Some of you, you don't, you don't see a God like that. You don't see a God that can take all of that and still make something great come out of it. And this Christmas story is about that very fact, that God takes a place known as a place of sorrow, and he makes it a place of life. Another thing that you have to understand about this story is it's not about where you are, but it's about how you live where you are. You see, again, th- just, just in your mind, think about this for a second. You're God for a mom- moment. You're coming to show yourself as king of kings and lord of lords. You want as many people as you can to know about it. So where do you live? I mean, God created the world. He can choose to live any place he wants. Where does he choose? Not Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Not Samaria. Or, you know, not any big city in Samaria. Not any big city. Dan, Beersheba, you know. Not, not, I mean, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, he picks what? Nazareth. A backwoods, hole-in-the-ground, obscure, little place, and says, this is where I'm going to spend 30 years. of my." Let me tell you something. If you came to me and said, you can live anywhere you want in the world, Pick a place. Nazareth is not the place that you go, yay, that's where I want to plant my flag. I mean, I know, I know where I'd like to plant my flag. You know, God planted me here, and I'm thrilled that God planted me here. And like, this is the coolest place in the world for me, but I have a second place, too, to plant a flag, all right? And, wh- and the point is, look, here's what God does. God says, I'm going to plant my flag in Nazareth because see it's not about where you are it's about what you do where you are and he makes such an impact that later people come from come along and go "Is not this the Galilean can in fact Nathaniel says this can any good thing come out of Nazareth Modern-day equivalent, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of a modern-day equivalent where God would, if God were coming today in America, where could he plant himself for 30 years? Now, don't get offended with me, but I'm just going to throw out a couple places that come to mind. San Francisco, Las Vegas. Those aren't places that, when I say, name the top three Christian cities, in America, those, I guarantee you those don't make your list. But that's it. He decides to plant himself somewhere where he's surrounded, not about around Jewish, healthy. He plants himself somewhere where he can make an impact and a difference. And one of the things they say: Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? What is not this Joseph, the carpenter's son? What do you mean? He, what do you mean people are following him? He's like he's like, he, he's, like he's like the laddie in the carpenter shop. People are following him. You see, it's not about where you are. It's about what you do where you are. And listen, some of you are frustrated because of where God has you. It's not about where you are. It's about what you're doing where you are. God said, I'm going to Nazareth. And I'm going to surround myself by some of the people that, and by the way, then later in the ministry of Christ, what do you see? You see a heart and a compassion every time because he notices the people that all of the Jewish people never even paid attention to. They bring little children to him, and he's like, and they're like, push him away, push him away, push him away. They're, 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 they're causing problems. And, and, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 back up the train. No, 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 this is what I'm all about lepers and and, and outcasts and people who society had pushed away Jesus is is compassionate with why he gets them he gets them and so I want to challenge you it's not about where you are God's got you where you are for a reason it's about what you're doing with where you are and I think the last lesson is this God makes a way When you look at this story, at the beginning, it doesn't seem like any of this is possible. There's a madman out to kill him. They don't have any resources. They're going to have to jump up in the middle of the night. But you know what? God had already provided that with the wise men. They get ready to do whatever they think. They don't know what to do, so they decide to head back to Bethlehem. And the angel goes, no, 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 you don't want to go there. All along the way, God directs them. God makes a path to get them where God wants them. Look, some of you right now are frustrated because you can't see light at the end of the tunnel. And then some of you are so frustrated, you think you see light at the end of the tunnel and you think it's a train. And she's going to run us over. God makes a way. Joseph was willing to listen to God and be obedient and follow him, and God makes a way. And God makes a way. Whatever you're up against, God will make a way, but I can't say, God will make way, that's who he is, that's what he does, God makes a way, and you see that in this story, and so I want to challenge you, because as, uh, you know, as we come to the Christmas story, as we come to the Christmas season, you know, a couple questions this morning, have you allowed God to change your life? he changed bethlehem from a place of sorrow to a place of life have you allowed him to change your life we have put your faith and trust in him nothing else just him because he has the power to change it you don't know what i've done i don't care what you've done you're this god that's what the whole point of christmas is he came to take care of all of that so you don't have to deal with it he's done with it all you got to do is embrace it accept it you know we had christmas friday night we you know you know, here's what happened. You know, went around the room, and, and Josh became the OCD organizer of the whole thing. And we all have to sit there with our presents in front, and then we were told who to open, what, when, and all of that. Um, and, and, you know, and it was wonderful and enjoyable. Um, and, and, you know, because some presents, you know, when you're doing in doubles, you know, they got to open them at the same time. And, and anyway, so, you know, organizing all that. But could you imagine if we all just sat there for the rest of the night and went, nah, I'm not going to open it? It's not ours. Why? We haven't accepted it. It's offered. It's in front of us. It's wrapped. It's ours. All we got to do is open it up and go, yay, thank you. That's all we got to do. Salvation's the same. It's offered. It's accepted. It's paid for. It's wrapped. It's all sitting in front of you. you, you, you got accept it. And if you don't, it's not yours. Oh, I think everybody should go to heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible says, so you're wrong. Christ said, I'm the way the truth the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's a gift, but you have to accept it. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Something you have to take. So the first question is, have you allowed God to change you? Second question is this, are you allowing God to use you? Instead of getting all upset about where you are, and you wish it was better, and you wish things had changed, and change the boss, and change the environment, and, you know, if I could just, like, work in a place where it was all Christians, oh, you don't want to do that. Because there's some really nice things about that and there's some really bad things about that. There's no perfect world out there. But you know what? God has you where he has you for a reason, so let him use you there. And finally, for some of you who are up against a wall right now, God will make a way. Well, it's what he does. But you've got to trust him and follow him. You've got to be obedient. He'll make a way. That's what he does. That's who he is. And so as you get ready to celebrate Christmas, don't forget that manger is about changing a life. It's about giving you a purpose to do what you do every day. And it's about providing a way to get us through whatever life comes throwing at us. That's the Christmas story. He loved us so much that he gave. So embrace it and accept it. And uh, my prayer is this. We're reminded that God can change and use us no matter what. God will make a way in our most difficult situation. I trust that each of us, this season, this day, can call him not only our God, but our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for manger. Thank you for the cross. And Lord, for an empty tomb. Lord, this morning, we're so thankful that you can take a place like Bethlehem and make it a place of life, that you can take a difficult situation that seems impossible and provide and care and protect and guide and get us to where we need to be. And Lord, for each of us, you've put us where you have us for a reason. Lord, help us to stop focusing so much on where we are and to spend more time on what you can do with us where we are. And use us. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise as we ask in your name. Amen.